Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Hello, everybody. It's good to see you all. If you got your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians and chapter 9. That's where we're going. We are continuing with our series called Wild, which is we are going to look through the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians together and discover what Paul has to say to all of us. 1 Corinthians 9, we're going to read the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1 till verse 27. This is what it says. I tell you what, before we read, let me just tell you some exciting news. One of the things that, I don't know if you remember very well, uh, probably about four weeks ago, we brought a couple to the front here, um, Mikey and Jan. I don't know if you remember that. Some of you might do. And uh, we prayed for them here and sending them to the Philippines. They're going to be there for a few weeks and they getting married on the 8th. And uh, so I have the privilege of marrying them, so I'm really excited. I'm looking forward to that, which means I'm going to travel to the Philippines to be with them. But not only that, we've got a few of our people here who some of them have already gone. There's probably about 15 or 20 of us who are going to be there. No exaggeration to be part of this incredible wedding. But after that... As you know, for those who've been with us for a long time, you know very well that we are a church that is rich in the nations. We're in different parts of the nations. In case you don't remember, um, we are in places like the UK uh, as part of, of, of our family of churches. We are in places like Holland. We also are in, pla- in places like Liberia in Africa and uh, Pakistan and uh, also the Philippines. When we started probably about two years ago, we had one church in the Philippines. And in September last year, if you remember, we went to plant another church. I'm pleased to announce to you that right now in the Philippines, even as I go now, we have already got four churches. So God's grace is upon us. And not only that, as you know, we have a church in China. Some of the people from China are going to come and join us. So it's a mission with people from different parts of the world blessing the Philippines as the gospel continues to grow in the Philippines. If you're from the Philippines here, can you just raise up your hand? I want to see how many. Wow, you are half of the church. How exciting is that? Great. Can we pray for that? Just very quickly. Father, I want to thank you for Mikey and Jan. I want to thank you for what you're doing and have done over their lives. Even as they get married, Lord, we pray you bless this time. Bless the ceremony, bless everything, every plan leading up to this wedding, but also bless their wedding, bless their marriage, bless their future. Lord, we pray, may your hand be upon them. Lord, we also want to pray that you bless the churches in the Philippines, bless Kim and Smile and, and others, Leo, and all those who are laboring hard for the gospel. I pray that uh, we'll see leaders raised up, trained, and equipped so that the gospel may bear fruit in the Philippines. Lord, we commit them to you, and we commit everything they do. We commit this trip. We commit the people who are going to go from here. We commit them to you, and we say, Lord, may it be a fruitful time. In Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians Chapter 9. It's a long passage, and it's not on the screen. So if you have a mobile, and it has a Bible, 
You can use it if you have a, a real Bible. You can use it as well. It says here, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I, who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without eating some of the milk, getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It, is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake. Because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the, cro the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offering. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I've made no use of any of these rights. Nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I will have a reward. But if not of my own will... I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being myself outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. 
every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beat in the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Lord, you love your word, and you speak to us through your word, and I pray today that you will communicate your word very clearly to us, and you will challenge us, but also you will equip us, and your word will come with grace. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I'm going to be looking at what I've titled, you, as in City Hill, you are preachers. All of you are preachers today. In summary, if you want to summarize my message, this is my argument today. I'm saying to you that the preaching of the gospel is not limited to pastors, evangelists alone. It's for all believers if it were down to just pastors and evangelists, if they were the only people that have been given the responsibility of preaching the gospel, then there would be no hope for Christianity to change the world. What's even more exciting is that every preacher of the gospel does not preach in vain. Let me summarize that. The preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a job or a responsibility for preachers alone. It is a responsibility and a task for all the believers. That means all. Because if it were down to just pastors and evangelists to preach the gospel, then the gospel would not impact the world in the way that it should be. What's even more exciting about this is that we are not preaching in vain. Those who preach the gospel, the Bible says there is an incredible reward. And with that, I've got three things that I'm going to talk to you about. The first thing is, you are the preacher of the gospel. The second thing is, as you preach the gospel, you are to understand the diverse nature of the gospel. That is not a one-size-fits-all. That is a very unique gospel that applies to every different domain and every different individual around the world. And also, thirdly, that as you preach the gospel, God's reward comes upon those who preach the gospel. Okay? You are the preacher of the gospel, as a preacher of the gospel, the gospel is not just a one-size-fits-all. The gospel applies to every different individual, every person, every culture, every person around the world. But also, for those who go and are faithful in preaching the gospel, the Bible guarantees a reward. You are the preacher of the gospel, number one. It's interesting that where Paul seems to be building an argument here, and the argument that he's building is he's saying that, look at me, I do everything for the sake of the gospel. Everything I do, I do it for the sake of the gospel. And he goes as far as saying, war, is, war to me if I did not preach the gospel. He's almost imposing a curse upon himself for not preaching the gospel because he's saying the gospel is so necessary because it can change lives. And he says, I do everything. It includes my freedom. I have freedom to do all kinds of things, but I will never use my freedom in a way that the gospel will be hindered from being proclaimed. I will make sure that everything I do, I do it for the sake of the gospel. But he's not saying that as the preacher. What do I mean by that? He's not, Paul is not trying to appeal to the Corinthians because he's a preacher by saying, 
do you know that I, as a preacher, am committed to preaching the gospel? No, what he's trying to say is he's trying to tell every single one that this is for you as well. This is not just for the, the few people who we claim are anointed, who seem to stand here on the stage to preach the gospel. Every one of us is a preacher. And if you are sitting here today and you are, a, you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you might be thinking, are they talking about telling me about Jesus Christ? Yes, we are. And you're probably thinking, how rude. And let me say this, that's not rude at all. Why? Think about this. If you were to discover that there was a, a cure for diabetes, hypothetically, and your friend has diabetes, and you have discovered something that could unlock this mystery, that could really bring an answer and hope to your friend's situation, but you decided to keep quiet, will that be the most loving thing you've ever done? No, it will be the most unloving thing you've ever done. You have the answer, the hope for your friend, but you decide to withhold that from your friend. That is most unloving. Let me tell you, we believe through the Bible, the Bible makes it very clear that the good news of Jesus Christ is the hope for all the world. And if we ever discovered hope, should we withhold it from you and not tell you, not communicate that to you? If we ever did that, do you realize we'll be doing one of the most unloving things ever? So the reason we are talking about proclaiming the gospel is because of the love that has been brought to us by the gospel itself and the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian and you're thinking, then every time I hear the word preach the gospel, I think of a pastor standing on a pulpit telling me three things and things that I need to do and things that I don't need to do. You are deceived because the gospel is not just about the pastor standing here. The gospel is about those who've received the good news of Jesus Christ and are to tell the world that this is good news. And by the way, it's not relative. It's not just good news for you. It's good news for the whole world which means I'm appealing to all of us. Manoj, did you want to take over the stage? You're raising your hand. I thought, all right. So Manoj agrees that the gospel is for all people. Now, you're probably going to say, how? How is the gospel good news for all? The Bible tells us that it's the hope for all the world, not just the hope for individuals. It's interesting how sometimes we've so privatized faith that it's my faith, it's my thing. Let me tell you just Jesus Christ didn't just die for you. Jesus Christ died for the whole world, which means if he, if he really truly died for the whole world and you know the truth and you have the cure, why are we withholding it? It will probably be the most unloving thing we've ever done. And you're probably thinking, I'm beginning to have a sense of guilt. I feel I've succeeded. <laughs> I'm kidding. The gospel, for the likes of me, and I'm going to tell you, I have a disadvantage to a degree in preaching the gospel in the way that you could. That's my argument. Why? Because I'm a pastor. You know what? The only opportunity, or almost always, the only opportunity I get to telling people about Jesus Christ is people that you bring through the door. And they're able to sit here and they listen to me. It's an opportunity. But you 
have more opportunity because you touch many, many people who are not able to see and hear me speak like this. And I tell you, you stand a greater chance and an opportunity to express the gospel and to tell the world about Jesus Christ. But you need to know that the gospel is not just about announcing it, but the gospel has a combination of word and deed in the way that sometimes it impacts people's lives. Because if the only thing we ever did was to gather people here so that I might tell them about Jesus Christ or was for you to just tell them that Jesus loves them, if the only thing you ever did was to preach to them, the world will tell you that what you are doing is you are increasing your tribe. You are not loving. You just want to increase your tribe. It's just want, you just want bumps on seats. You just want to increase the, 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 the capacity of the number of people who are in the building. But hey, that would be selfish, wouldn't it? Unless, of course, the gospel is both word and deed. That means, of course, the gospel has to be pronounced. Of course, the gospel is entirely news, which means they have to be pronounced. But God has placed you everywhere where you can demonstrate the gospel as well. If I said to someone who's going through really difficult times, Jesus loves you. And they said, I understand that. I said, but, but what I did was, that person is going through hard times. I tell them that Jesus loves them. And they say to me later, hey, you know, I need to go somewhere and my children have no one to look after. I said, that's not for me. For me what I just need to tell is that Jesus loves you. You know what? I've not demonstrated the gospel. So all I want to say to you is that if we don't proclaim the gospel in our mouth, through our mouths, and we hold the truth, it will be one of the most unloving things ever. But if all we ever did was to speak and to not really help people, that means demonstrate the gospel, that will not be the feet and the hands of Jesus Christ, which means it has to be both. And by the way, you stand the opportunity to interact with people who don't know Jesus Christ and really explain to them how Jesus has changed and shaped your life. And that's how the good news gets to go out there. I used to play football. Well, I still play football now. In fact, I've also just joined a football team. I don't look like it, but I actually do. Um, I decided many years ago that I was going to play football. And the reason for playing football in the, in, it was in the UK. And the reason for playing football was it was an outreach program. But I decided I was going to join a team. And this team consisted of probably about 10 guys. It was a five-a-side uh, football uh, team, ten, uh, 10 guys from our church who played with people who were not believers. That means not followers of Christ. We decided to do this as an outreach program. Do you know what? It used to be so difficult for me. Let me tell you why. Because every time I'll go and meet with people and uh, a new guy will arrive, you know, from the other team. A new guy will arrive, and we all have to introduce ourselves. And one of my friends, some of my friends will say, Hi, my name is Mike, and I'm a, a pilot. And uh, someone else will say, Not you, Mike. And someone else will say, Hi, my name is Mark, and I'm a, an engineer. And someone will say, Hi, my name is Peter, and I work for this. And, that. and then they'll get to me. So what do you do? Say, Hi, my name is Fuzi, I'm a pastor. You know what? The person gets put off somehow. I don't know why. What's wrong with pastors? What have we done wrong, really? 
And it used to be a barrier. And I remember I used to even say, hi, you're going to get, you're going to freak out if I tell you what I do. And the person said, no, of course I wouldn't freak out. I said, I'm a pastor. And so, I said, Luke, you're freaking out. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but the reason for that was it was just because of preconceived views, people, when you start saying, I'm a pastor, that kind of pushes people off. But if you say, I'm an engineer, the people are likely to get closer to you, isn't it? Unless, of course, they're here. Of course, they will know that I'm a pastor and will preach the gospel. You have more opportunities than I do to preach the gospel. But here are some of the things that you need to bear in mind regarding the gospel. One of the things about the marketplace gospel is that the gospel has to be preached and demonstrated in many different ways. How? Love is one of the key things for the gospel. Caring for people is one of the most fundamental things for the gospel. And dare I say, your integrity helps you to preach the gospel. In your workplace, how you conduct yourself, how you live your life, how you interact with people who don't know Jesus Christ, all of that speaks volumes about the gospel. And that's very important. But you're probably thinking, where do I start? Because my responsibility, I feel, is to equip you to preach the gospel. But your responsibility is to continue to preach the gospel. That means to those who don't know Christ. The question is, how open are you <laughs> to those that are your neighbors, those you spend time with, those that you see on a regular basis? How open are you? Let me ask you a question. Do, do, do people in your workplace know anything about you? If they do, what do they know about you? Because your life is an incredible testimony of the gospel. This is where I will start. You are here right now on a Friday morning. And you are going back to work, whether you like it or not, on, Saturday, on Sunday. And the question is going to come, how was your weekend? Here's an opportunity for you to present something, to plant a seed of the gospel just by sharing how your weekend was like. Do you ever say, I went to church, and then we hung out with friends. Do you ever say that? Do you know as you say that, that's an, an incredible opportunity? Because every time, they'll say, every time you keep saying you go to church on a Friday, we wonder what you do. Can we come with you? Because what you are going to do is you're not bombarding people. You're not just coming and say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you'll be saved. That's not what you're saying. You're just sharing who you are. Do you share who you are? First thing is, where have you been? Secondly, do people know that you are, you are a Christian and you are happy to be a Christian and you are passionate about it? Do they know that? Do they know that you believe in Jesus Christ? Does it come through conversations without really being a bit off-putting? That I, you know, as a Christian, this is how I would look at it. What about how you do things? Do people know that a Christian faith 
really helps you in certain areas of your life, or at least in all different areas of your life. So for instance, people would ask me about having lost uh, parents. Because I lost my mom and dad when I was quite young. I'd just become a Christian. And what I say is, the Christian faith really helped me to deal with the death of my mom and dad, and let me tell you how. What I've done there is I've just shared how I've been able to cope with it. And what I'm not trying to do is I'm not saying, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and this is the case. Because people know, and they call you names, and they know that sometimes if you had your opportunity, you'll go with that. But plant a seed of the gospel without being too pushy, but just using every opportunity to communicate the love of God by just being who you are. Be honest, be open. The other thing is, you've got to understand that there are steps in proclaiming the gospel. So you might put 20% of the seed in the ground. Leave it there. Someone else might put another 60%. We've got 80%. Someone might be thinking, you know, this week, you're not the first person who talked about church. Maybe I should think about it. Why? Because you planted a seed. And oftentimes we think, oh, I just need to go all the way. Not necessarily, although if an opportunity presents itself, of course we do. God is sovereign and he can serve people instantly. But if an opportunity presents itself for you to plant a seed, let's continue to plant a seed of the gospel. Because God will always give us opportunities when we interact with people. Whether you are a single, uh, a single person or you are a married person here, whether you, 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 you stay at home as a mom or you, you, you're not working but you're looking after your kids, you have great um, opportunities for presenting the gospel. Whether you are working here, whether you're not working, God will always give us opportunities for the gospel to be proclaimed. But we do believe in the quick fix gospel. And let me tell you what a quick fix gospel looks like. A quick fix gospel is that the only way you can preach the gospel is right now to present the whole full message. Let me tell you what you are trying to do. What you are trying to do, sometimes what we end up doing is we end up making what I've coined, the word I've coined is confessionists rather than disciples. What do I mean confessionists? All I want is for this person to confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. But the Bible says, don't make, doesn't say make confessionists of all the, the nations. The Bible says make disciples of all the nations. What do I mean by that? That the, the the important thing is that the person needs to be gripped from the heart. And you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth. The confession comes when the heart has been softened and is responsive to God. Because why? Because you want that person not to just say something, but to follow someone. And who are they following? Jesus Christ. Which means sometimes you might labor really hard, but one day... God is going to open a door for the gospel to be proclaimed fully and the person to respond to Jesus Christ. And that's important for us to, to know. One of the things, one of the great commodities that we have that we do not use well, by the way, is time. Do you realize that? You are so busy, 
You are so busy and people at work know that you are really a busy man. You really don't have time for them. I will say seize opportunities sometimes when someone said, oh, I've had a really rough week. You say, do you want to talk about it? I oh, mean, you're so busy. There's no way I can talk about it. No, I just want to, I just want to listen. Do you want to grab a drink after, after work? you want to just talk about it? And give people your time. Do you know why? Because maybe they think not many people are able to listen to us. Not many people have time for us. And as you begin to make time for people, they realize that you truly, truly care. You truly, truly care from the heart. Because not the city is full of people who are living a life that is a facade. It's just a phase. It's not true. But if you begin to show people that you really, truly care, people will begin to understand that this person is very real, he's very, he's very genuine, and he truly cares. Give people your time. Which means all of us stand the opportunity to preach the gospel and to tell people about Jesus Christ. The second thing is the gospel in, in its nature is very diverse. So you are the preacher of the gospel. The second thing is the gospel is very, very diverse. It's very different in many different ways. Let me show you how. If you look in the book of Acts, Paul seems to preach the gospel. And Paul preaches the gospel to many different cities and towns and villages as he goes, particularly cities. He's like targeting cities. And even as he says here, I become all things to all men, to, the, to, the, to those under the law, I become one under the law. To those who are not under the law, I become one not under the law. To the weak, I become like weak. To the strong, strong. Why, what he's saying there is that the gospel is malleable. It just seems to fit in every different context. In the book of Acts, in Acts 13, Paul preaches the gospel. He preaches to people who do not know Jesus Christ. Do you know where their background they were Jews. But what he says there is that he begins to talk about Jesus Christ, and he begins to talk about how Jesus Christ is the son of David. And when they begin to realize Jesus is the son of David, they realize Jesus is our king. And as they begin to realize that Jesus is their king, they begin to realize he's worthy of our worship. But he goes to Athens later in Acts 17. When Paul arrives in Athens, who was in Athens? The Greeks were in Athens, not the Jews. And how does Paul preach the gospel in, in Athens? He doesn't talk about David. Why? Because nobody in Athens knows who David is. Nobody knows who Abraham is. But he's able to preach Christ and resurrection. The interesting thing is he doesn't even use the cross. What does this tell us? It tells us that the gospel is incredibly diverse in its nature and its expression. It means that every culture can hear the gospel expressed in a way that that culture can understand. Every city can hear the gospel in a way that that city can understand. Every age group can hear the gospel in a way that that age group can understand. The gospel is able to fit in every in every domain of life. And the gospel is also able to be preached to an individual in a way that that individual will understand. That's very different from someone else. That's how amazing the gospel is. That the gospel just applies to individuals. The gospel just applies to cultures in ways that we don't realize. But what do we do? We believe in a one-size-fits-all gospel. So, for instance, in the 1940s, until about in the 60s and 70s, 
a man, one of the greatest men in, in, in the whole of the Christian world, one of the most amazing people in the 20th century, Billy Graham. He, he preached to millions of people, and many millions got saved. Do you know why? Because Billy Graham understood what the gospel looked like and sounded like to, people, to the people he was trying to reach. Now, the problem that we have done is we have said, okay, this is how Billy Graham was preaching in the 20th century. Surely, this is how the gospel needs to be preached in the 21st century. Do you know what we've done? Is we've just taken the expression of gospel in the 20th century, and we're just preaching in the 21st century. In the 21st century, people are asking different questions to the 20th century. What Billy Graham had done is he's, he had done his homework. He had found out what it is that the 20th century people were struggling with, and he thought, this is the answer. The gospel is the answer to this particular thing. What we need to do is we need to say, what are people in the 21st century struggling with? And how is Jesus Christ the answer to their problems? Remember I said a while ago that we live in the culture or in a, in a generation of the nuns. Do you remember that? Not the ones with black uh, dresses and uh, not, not, not those ones. But those who, if you were to ask them to fill up a form that speaks of religion, etc. At the bottom, you know, you have Christianity this and that and that, and then you said none. That's where they will take. They are the nuns. And the nuns are everywhere because they would much rather not want to associate with anyone. And the, the nuns are growing in number across the world. The fact that we are preaching to the nuns, the nuns don't think like the 20th century. Because in the 20th century, by the way, if I could just very quickly show you... How, the gospel, that, the way that Billy Graham used to preach the gospel, that is the 20th century gospel, which was appealing, by the way. They call it the four spiritual laws. Has anyone ever heard of the four spiritual laws? Anyone? Oh, just a few. This is what it says. The four spiritual laws. It's, it's, very, it's very good. It's very appealing. He says, God loves you and created you to know him personally. This is what the nuns say. Wish God. The second one is, man is sinful and separated from God, so we cannot know him personally, that is God, or experience his love. The, the, the nuns say, will say, what is sin? Number three, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. Through him alone, we can know God personally and experience God's love. And the nun will say, that is too exclusive. Why him alone? And then number four, it says, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Then we can know God personally and experience his love. All of this, by the way, are true. But then they will say, Savior, saving us from what? Do you realize that? We've never asked these questions before. But the nuns right now, or your daughter or your son, they're beginning to ask these questions, and we must work out how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, looks like for them. And by the way, the, gospel, the kennel of truth for the gospel is the same. It's never going to change. Jesus is the Lord, and he's the Savior, and that will never change. What will never change is that Jesus died on the cross. That will never change. What will never change is that Jesus rules and reigns. That will never change. What will not also not, not change is that Jesus Christ will one day save the whole world into glory. All of these are truth. It's the kennel of truth. It doesn't change. But what changes is how we express that to the different individuals and to the different people around the world. But the gospel has been so diverse 
And let me just say what some of the questions I believe that people in our generation right now are asking. And the reason I'm saying this is because I want you to be equipped to know how to proclaim the gospel. See, these are some of them. Can we trust this? Can we trust Christianity? How do I know it works? Isn't it just a crutch for the weak? Why is it so exclusive? How is it good news for me? Can it heal our world and how? Does it answer my questions about life and the meaning of life? Is it going to kill my joy and steal my freedom? How come you, this, I love this one, this is classic. I love this one. It says, how come you, you, believe and possess the good news of Jesus Christ and yet you looked and act so miserable? The nuns ask questions that you don't expect them to ask you. And the gospel is the answer to those questions. What we need to do, like Paul did in the book of Acts, we need to discover how Jesus Christ is the answer to everything. Lastly, the preacher's reward. I'm going to be very quick on this one. Paul then goes on to say, he uses this athletic metaphor. He says, all runners run and you're going to get a prize. He talks about, you're not just preaching. There's going to be a prize for you. Which means as you proclaim the gospel, you definitely are guaranteed a prize. He says, run. He says, when people run, they get this wreath. A perishable wreath. It's a wreath that you get and you hold it and it's so beautiful, it's great. And nowadays, people get flowers and uh, medals, right? So you get that. But he says, you are going to get a reward that's not going to perish. You are guaranteed as you preach the gospel. What I'm appealing to you now, not just me, all of us here, we are guaranteed a reward. And the question might be, isn't salvation enough? Hey, I have good news for you. Salvation is more than enough for you and is more than enough for me. Because to be honest with you, I don't even deserve salvation. It's more than enough for me. Hey, but the abundance of grace that comes from God means he gives us salvation. And just when we are overwhelmed with the weight of salvation, he says, I have more. And then you ask the question, what about Jesus? Isn't Jesus enough? Of course Jesus enough. Because the psalmist in, in, in Psalm 73, this is what he says. The psalmist says, whom have I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. God is enough. God is enough for us. That means if I didn't have a reward, God will be enough. Because he's enough for us. Paul says it in the New Testament as well. He helps us to understand. He says here, yeah, I count everything a loss as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord, God is enough. Of course Jesus is enough. But God is also wise. He's enough, but he's also wise. You ask him, how? He's wise in this way. Jesus in the book of John, in the gospel of John, Jesus says, if you see me, you see my father. What do you think Jesus was saying? Was he saying he's got chicks like the father? Was he saying his chin is shaped like his father? Of course not. But what he was saying was, when a woman was to be stoned to death, and there were men here shouting and wanting to persecute that woman, Jesus Christ 
and his love and compassion will stand there and vindicate that woman and set that woman free. Why? Because his love. When you see that love that is in Christ Jesus, you see the Father. Because you think, wow, I've never seen love like this. And Jesus says, I only do what I see my Father do. Which means everything you see about me points to the Father. And let me say this, a reward, one day, when you receive a reward, it's not going to point to the reward. It's going to point to Jesus. Because the reward is going to tell you, I thought God was amazing. Look at this. He's given me salvation. He's amazing. He's given me everything I ever needed, Jesus Christ. But he's also given me this. Surely he is bigger and better and more faithful and more abundant and more, and like, I've run out of words than I've ever thought. Why? Because everything that God gives us will always point to him, not away from him. And let me tell you this. Even as you proclaim the gospel, as you talk about Jesus Christ, as you talk about his salvation, as God equips you and empowers you to tell people about Jesus Christ, as God begins to gain victory in people's lives, let it not point to you. Let it point to Jesus alone. Because it is for him, it is for his glory. Let's all stand. Can I ask the band to come? I want us to sing a song to celebrate his love. Because even as John saw this beautiful picture of what was to come, do you know what? The only thing he could do was when he realized there's more to this than just what we are seeing right now. The only thing he could do was bow and worship. And he says, salvation belongs to the Lord and to the Lamb. To him be glory and power and honor and authority. Because everything he saw was pointing to Christ alone. And I want us today as we worship, I'm going to pray after this, but I want us as we worship today to say salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb. Let's do that together. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Thank you.